Well, good morning, Oakwood, and welcome to part two of the series we've been on called On the Road Again as we kick off the summer. You know, have you ever heard that terminology, the dog days of summer? It's like, hey, you really can't say that yet. You know, it's not the dog days of summer. And then I looked at the forecast this week, 94, 95, 95, 95, 94, and I thought, well, it's not the dog days of summer yet. It could be 104, 105, 105, but, but we're getting there, aren't we? It's getting a little warmer outside, but it's a good time to, to be a part of the Lord's church as we're doing this series on the road again. Last year, we did a series called the ABCs of Financial Freedom. Um, and we're just kind of touching base on some of those principles again. Uh, just good to be taught the, uh, the Word of God. And just wanted to let you know that if you weren't here last year, we handed out a free book with that series called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. And those books are available to you at both info centers today. So if you weren't here at that time, or maybe you missed the series for some reason, or maybe you're new to Oakwood, we'd like for you to pick up a copy of that. Um, and, and it's on us. Um, we just want everybody to have a copy of that. You can read about the biblical way to manage your finances and really find true financial freedom in that. So we invite you to, to be a part of that. You can get that right after our services this morning. Last week we talked about the road rules for financial freedom. God owns it all. God owns it all. We do not, even though as humans sometimes we're selfish and we think we own it all. Uh, his, his word tells us that we uh, are to manage his resources and we're to do it with great success. Now, we're not the owners, we're the managers of everything that God's given us. And today we're going to be talking about some roadblocks to financial freedom, roadblocks to financial freedom. I don't know about you, but I kind of get sick of roadblocks, especially in Enid, Oklahoma. I mean, my goodness, there's a reason we chose to live in Enid. It's because you can get anywhere in town in three minutes, but not anymore, okay? Some more people have moved here that don't know how to drive. They're from Texas and Kansas, and they don't know how to drive, so... We're going to teach them, we're going to learn them how to drive, um, but no, seriously, I, anybody that live in Willow West or on the Willow thing, are you about sick of that road construction? Hey, only seven more months, seven more months, and you'll have a, have a way to get to Walmart and Lowe's again, uh, but you know, just outside of my neighborhood is a roof, and they've had that bridge out for like ever, okay? Now, the bridge is done. I've walked on the bridge, the railing's on the bridge, I'm like, the bridge is done. We can remove, you know, if they, I think we might be waiting on the paint, and I was going to volunteer to paint it. Put the yellow lines right on it, we'll open it up tomorrow, and then I can get to Walmart and Lowe's again, because that's the way I like to, to get there. But roadblocks are inconvenient, you know. It, it's sometimes strange um, how, how uh, inconvenient they can be, and how angry they can kind of make us sometimes, but how also they can really get in the way to where you're wanting to go. I had that happen this week in another way. I was uh, driving one of our church uh, vans for Enter His Gates. It's a horseman, Christian horsemanship camp, and uh, we were driving the vans, and because of insurance, one of our, our staff, our church members, has to drive it. So I was driving that on Monday, uh, driving the route in the afternoon. I was picking them up at another local church. I was taking them to a swimming pool, and I was going up Cleveland, and I got to the intersection of Cleveland and Randolph, if you can picture that, and, and while I was there, there was another van in front of me, a van full of kids, ages about 8 to about 15 years old, full van of kids, you know, they didn't really know me, I didn't really know them, just pick them up, giving them a ride, shuffle them around, and, and there's a cop car that comes in from this way, and from this way, and from the north, and, and from the east, and all directions, and they converge on this corner house, there's this guy in the yard, they jump on top of this guy, they take him to the ground, they have their guns drawn, and I mean, the kids are really excited because they're about to go swimming, and you could have heard a pin drop in my van. I mean, I'm serious, and I wanted to get out my phone, but I was actually on the phone to Dennis McKenzie at the time, and you know how that is, so... Couldn't get off, 
couldn't get off the phone. I can say that because he's not in this service. So, um, but but anyway, but you know, I'm just saying that I'm like I should record this. This doesn't happen, and the kids are just glued because you just don't you know see this very much. I mean, and there's probably by the time it's all over seven or eight cars, will they block? I mean, all the way. The only way to go now is to go left down down Randolph, and so I'm like, you know, my goodness, this is crazy, and the kids are silent, and I'm like, okay, what do I say? You know, how do I pick their jaws up off the floorboard of this van, you know? So we turn left, and we're following this other van. We're going to the swimming pool, and I said, so, kids. <laughs> Sorry, it was just one of those moments. I was like, so, kids, this is a good lesson of why we don't break the law. We do whatever God tells us to do, and then you won't end up with cops with their guns drawn laying in someone's yard sometime. <laughs> and they're all nodding their heads, big eyes, yeah, yeah. And I said, this it's the reason we need to obey God. God knows what's best, and we don't, we don't run from police, and we obey the laws of land. We'll do fine. You won't find yourself in that, that situation. And, and, of course, I mean, it was just crazy. What's funny is I dropped them off, and then I, I come down to Eisenhower over here, and i come coming back to the church. And as soon as I get around pulling into Oakwood, I look at SMB Bank, you know, a little bank across the street. Nineteen cop cars there. I mean, and there's police everywhere, and I'm looking down Randolph, and there's cop cars at every entrance. I look down Oakwood, and... Every entrance and, and exit out of Seven Pines area, there's police everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on here? And found out someone robbed the bank, you know. And we think that the love of money isn't a problem today. I mean, it'll sometimes push people to rob banks, won't it? I mean, seriously, if you think about it, that's what that's all about. That guy, what, what did he want? He wants the money. He wants more. He wants more. You know, there are so many ways that we can get uh, roadblocks into our life, and we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to talk about a story that I actually mentioned briefly last week, uh, the story of the rich ruler. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And we're going to begin there this morning as uh, the, the story of the, uh, the rich ruler that encounters Jesus. You know, I want you to think about this question as we work through this passage and as uh, we're going through the message this morning. What might be the roadblock to your financial freedom? What are the roadblocks that keep you from enjoying God's blessings in this area and really all the areas of your life? Because we have these roadblocks and they, and they stand in the way of us and God. The rich ruler, Luke 18, we're going to begin there with verse 18. It's what it says. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, well, all these I have kept since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? And he said, What is impossible with man is possible with with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God 
who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now this passage that we just read this morning, this is not a parable of Jesus. This is not an illustrative story that Jesus told. This is an actual event, an actual occurrence in the life of Jesus Christ. The rich ruler, and in Matthew and Mark's Gospels, they add the fact that this ruler was young. So this rich, young ruler approached Jesus with this question about inheriting eternal life. And the big hindrance to discipleship in the life of this young, rich ruler was his stuff. It was his money and the things that money had bought in the past and could buy him in the present and in the future. His stuff was getting in the way of following Jesus. The comedian George Carlin, in his earlier cleaner days, he had a comedy routine called Stuff. This is what he said. The whole meaning of life is stuff. Trying to find a place for your stuff. That's all that your house is. Your house is just a place for your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. Your house is a pile of stuff with a cover over it. And when you take off in an airplane, you look down, and you see everybody's got their own little pile of stuff. And when you leave your stuff, well, you need to lock it up. You wouldn't want someone else to come by and take your stuff. And thieves, they always take the good stuff. They don't bother with the old stuff. They're not interested in your fourth grade arithmetic papers. They're looking for the good stuff and for the new stuff. And so your house is a place to try and keep your stuff safe while you go out and work to make more money so you can buy more stuff. Now, sometimes you've got to move, right? You've, you've got to buy a bigger house. Why? Because you have too much stuff. John Ortberg said this, There are now more than 50,000 self-storage facilities in the country offering over a billion square feet for people to store their stuff. In the 1960s, this industry was non-existent. We now spend... $13 billion a year just to pay someone to store our extra stuff. You know, we throw out numbers like $13 billion, and, and that just doesn't seem like very much because we hear billions and trillions all the time. $13 billion is $13,000 million. It's like a million dollars 13,000 times. That's how much we spend on storage units to store our stuff. You may have heard of the man William Randolph Hearst. He was labeled a stuffaholic. He had 3,500-year-old Egyptian statues that he collected, medieval Flemish tapestries, and centuries-old hand-carved uh, alabaster lamps, some of the world's greatest works of art from Europe. And, and he built this house, and it was actually called Hearst Castle. We have a, a picture of, you, of it on the screen for you to see. And they actually named this place Hearst Castle. Now, Hearst Castle, that, that looks like big place. A lot of people could live there. Hearst Castle is actually 72,000 square feet with a beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean, and it was really built to put all of his stuff in. He acquired property for his castle, 265,000 acres. He originally owned 50 miles of California coastline, and he collected his stuff for 88 years. And then you know what he did? He died. He died, and it all went back in the box just like a game of Monopoly. And like William Randolph Hearst, there's a lot of people that get caught up and find that all their life consists of is a bunch of stuff. But stuff is just one type of roadblock to financial freedom. 
You know, a roadblock, roadblocks are obstacles that hinder our road to discipleship, to following Jesus, and to financial freedom. And last week, we talked about the two basic roads that Jesus described. He said, you can't serve two masters. You've got to choose. You either serve God, that's one path, or you serve money, that's another. The rich young ruler came to this fork in the road in our passage today. But which way would he go, money's way or God's way? Well, he took the money road. Why? It wasn't that he had stuff. It's really that his stuff had him. In Matthew 16, verse 26, it says, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? When we choose the way of the world and we turn away from God's way, you'll find out that life is just downhill from there. But I'd like to drill down a little deeper on this topic this morning. What are the specific influences that cause a person to make a choice for stuff or for the pursuit of money rather than a choice to pursue God? I think we can identify at least four common roadblocks on the road to financial uh, freedom this morning. And the first one is this. The first roadblock is selfishness. The first roadblock is selfishness. Friends, we do not realize how truly selfish we are. We are a very selfish people. I was talking to Amy this week uh, just about this. If you bring me a problem, any problem almost, if we peel off all the layers of the issue, it really probably boils down to some form of pride or selfishness. Selfishness is rampant, even in the hearts of Christians. You know, maybe it's a friendship that has gone awry, and, you know, you're, you're kind of mad at your friend because, you know, well, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. I really wanted him to do this, and, and he decided to do that, and so now we're not friends anymore. And what does that really boil down to? Selfishness, because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. In a marriage, it works this way as well. People are selfish. They, they need help, and, and so they come and they ask, and then, well, I'm not getting my needs met. That's selfish. Well, I'm not getting my needs met either. Well, that's selfish too. You can't have two people that are totally focused on themselves and make this great, awesome marriage out of the deal. Selfishness, it's everywhere. Selfishness is a lot of times the root of conflict between people because they want it their way right away. Sometimes greed really goes back to selfishness. Why do we want to pursue more? Why do we feel like we have to have more? When it comes to stealing or robbing a bank, it's selfishness. Coveting another's possessions, selfishness. You see, the rich young ruler asked the wrong question when he said, what must I do? He was being selfish in that moment. He was just looking for one more commandment to obey, check it off of his list, one more personal achievement, one more benchmark that he could reach and become more of a self-made man. His salvation depended on him, and it was focused on him, and it was all about him. He was very selfish. And then Jesus bursts his bubble. Because as Jesus itemized the commandments for the young man, he answered yes to every question except the question of lordship. He thought he'd done it all. He thought he could do it all. He had achieved the good life, and now he wanted to add eternal life to his resume. But did you notice that as Jesus recited the commandments, the young man stopped him before he got to, you shall not of it. But Jesus knew his heart. 
and so told him to go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, I want to correct a common misconception or maybe a misperception here. Jesus did not say to the rich young ruler, sell it all and give it all to the poor. He just said, give to the poor. Now, apparently, the rich young ruler had never been a giver at all. Apparently, there was one area of his life that was not surrendered to Jesus. And I think Jesus knew that, and he put his finger right on it. And he said, in effect, you are covetous, and you are self-centered, and you are selfish. And if you want to be my disciple, and you want to do what it requires to follow me, then you need to be generous, you need to be selfless, and you need to be humble. And in our passage in verse 22, it said, when he heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was a man of great wealth. Why would that make him sad? You know, I think if we're going to get this right, we, we need to acknowledge one of the first and one of the biggest roadblocks to discipleship and financial freedom, and that's selfishness. Because if we're going to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we need to bring this under control in our lives. We need to allow God to do his work to change our hearts and change our lives in this world. And I'm telling you what, this will really change the world. If we are less selfish, this could really mean change in so many areas of our lives. First roadblock to your discipleship and financial freedom is selfishness. The second one is poor choices. Poor choices. Have you ever noticed that even smart people, I mean really sharp people, can be so unwise when it comes to spending money? I mean, it's like taking an expensive vacation that you really can't afford, but yet your bill's piling up. It's like, hey, we're going to do it anyway. Or paying, paying to store stuff somewhere, stuff that you'll never use, stuff that you forget about, stuff that you maybe you ought to just really give away. And some people make some really bad choices when it comes to finances. Many people struggle with impulse buying. It's so easy today with online shopping and with stores for consumers everywhere. They see something that they want, and they cannot delay that gratification at all. And they just have to have it, and they have to have it now. The rich young ruler made the poor choice to choose wealth, to choose stuff over following Jesus. And that is the poorest choice anyone could ever make. When it comes to money, most of us, if we're honest, we could cut back on what we spend. Most people that I've counseled in the past about financial issues, they were really just a stack of poor choices, especially when it came to spending money or managing money. And we need to be careful not to be manipulated. I feel like the world and all the advertising that you see on TV and, and, and online, they're designed to create dissatisfaction with your life. For you, to get you to think and to really feel like, I've got to have this, or I can't be happy. And you grow dissatisfied with your car, and you grow dissatisfied with your house, and you grow dissatisfied with your appliances, and you grow dissatisfied with all this because of all this advertising to the point that it makes you actually want to go out and to buy and to purchase something that you really don't need. Let's determine that we will be wise and that we'll make good financial choices when it comes to spending money. Otherwise, it can become a roadblock to our discipleship and our financial freedom. Poor financial choices will always make you pay a price. So be wise. The third 
roadblock is debt. Debt. Debt is not the on-ramp to financial freedom. It is an exit off the road. The first priority of getting out of a financial hole is what? Stop digging. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says it this way. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Why is a borrower slave to the person or the organization that lends? It's because you are working to pay them back. You have to keep up with the payments. And so every time you add a payment to your life, you are becoming slave to someone other than Jesus. You are now a slave to a lender. Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27 in the NIVs says this, Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Do you understand that when we have debt and we have these loans, that you're always putting something on the line for collateral? Sometimes it's, it's simple and it's easy. It's just the object that you're purchasing, but sometimes it's a whole lot more than that. And the warning here in Proverbs 22 is that even your bed could be snatched from you. So make wise choices with your money. Debt can be very dangerous, and you will always pay more for longer when you use debt to get something. I've met some people who are making payments today on things they no longer use. I also know people who are making payments today on things they don't own anymore. I think that's really sad. Some of us are making payments on vehicles that aren't even worth what we owe on them. Now, not all debt is bad. There is good debt, and you know what that is, don't you? A debt that has been paid off is good debt, really good debt. You know, debt is a big business being built on the backs of a lot of clueless people, I believe. The average American cardholder in 2009 had three bank credit cards, four retail credit cards, and one debit card. That is eight cards per cardholder, and some families have the average interest rate charged by credit card companies today is 14.71%. Now, that is the average. Some are much higher than that. The most recent Federal Reserve study showed that 43% of U.S. families spend more than they earn. On average, Americans spend $1.22 for every dollar that they earn. And debt is killing so many people's futures. So we have these roadblocks. We have to consider if we want to have discipleship, if we want to have financial freedom, we've got to put off the selfishness. We've got to quit the poor choices, the poor spending choices. We've, we've got to really manage our debt and try to get out of debt. And finally, the fourth roadblock is a failure to give your tithe to the Lord. Failure to give your tithe to the Lord. A lot of people can relate to those first three, but I think there's many more that can relate to this last one. Last week after the uh, service was over, I was actually talking backstage to some of the, the band, and I was talking to Bill Beck, one of our guitar players. He shared a really cool story with me when he told me the story. I said, can I use that somewhere in the finance series? And he's like, sure. He said, Eric, you know what's amazing about giving and about tithing? He said, um, his wife was Carolyn, and he said, we made a de decision at, at some point that we were going to start tithing. He said, before we were tithing, he said, my income was pretty flat. I mean, you might see a little bit of an increase, 
He said, but my, my, my income was really fast. He said, when we started tithing, he goes, you could chart it. It's like my income went up, and he goes, it was like a bell curve. And he said, and we were able to do so much more. Like, we were able to help people when they needed help and give people money. He's like, and, and we always tithe. And as we tithe, it just felt like the Lord provided and provided and provided. And, you know, he's like, and you really, you start doing that, and it really builds your faith. You really start believing God is who he says he is, and he can do all he's promised to do. And you can't outgive him. I think it's so true that many of us miss out on the blessing of the Lord in our lives when we don't give our tithe to him. I sincerely believe that not tithing is a roadblock to your financial freedom and to blessing from the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, it says this, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Do you understand what that scripture is saying? God is saying, will man rob God? And they're saying, well, how do we rob? He says, in my tithes and offerings. And he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, that my ministries may be funded well. And then God says something shocking because he says that nowhere else in Scripture, he says, hey, put me to the test. Put me to the test. And you see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether of grain from the soil or fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. There's several biblical principles here that we need to understand that God wants to be first. He wants to be best in our lives. And even in this area of finances, he doesn't want to be second or third or fourth. He says, I want to be number one. What's amazing, and we talked about it last week, is God only requires 10%. He didn't say, hey, give 50% to me. He didn't say, hey, I need 40% or 30%. He says, just, just 10. You know, the great thing about here, being here at Oakwood is that I have felt like offering time at Oakwood has always been genuinely greeted with a smile. It has been a rather joyful time. This is definitely a mark of spiritual maturity amongst Christians. I mean, Paul commended a church in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for being a generous church, even when their resources were scarce at the time. They were really hurting. We understand from the scripture that a tithe of our income stream, whether that is a small amount for some of us or a very large amount, it is the Lord's. It never really belongs to us. It is the Lord's. Now, can you keep it for yourself? Well, yes, certainly you can. But you should understand that it will become a roadblock to your financial freedom. And giving a minimum of 10% is a trust issue. It's an obedience issue more than it is a financial issue. I think most of all, it's a lordship issue. And so I wonder, have you tried? Have you tried it? God's saying, try it. Test me in this. 
If not, then the roadblock will remain for you, between you and your financial freedom and even the Lord. You know, last week we learned that we can't serve both God and money. Jesus says that you must choose. Is money a roadblock for you in your relationship with God? Maybe for you it's some other area in your life that keeps you away from God, that serves as a roadblock. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God is most interested in your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you to trust and obey His promises, even in the area of giving. He wants you to seek after Him first and most and always. And some of you are searching, but you still haven't found what you're looking for. You see, the devil's plan is to put a roadblock between you and the Lord, and he'll use whatever he can to do it. And for many of us, if we're being honest, our comfort is our highest priority. And we're afraid if we really give to the Lord as the Bible instructs, that somehow we might lose our comfort. Yes, it is important to have money to pay your bills, and God knows that you need to do that. But God also knows that that can serve as a huge roadblock in the relationship with his children. What I want to do now is we're going we're to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. And I want you to really pray with me now. Pray that God would help remove any roadblocks in your life that are hindering your trust in him or that are hindering your closeness with him. Would you bow with me?